For centuries, people believed that Aristotle was right when he said that the heavier an object, the faster it would fall to earth. Aristotle was regarded as the greatest thinker of all time, and surely he would not be wrong. Anyone, of course, could have taken two objects, one heavy and one light, and dropped them from high up to see whether or not the heavier object actually did land first, but no one did until nearly 2,000 years after Aristotle's death. In 1589, Galileo called together all the learned professors in the area to the bottom of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and he probably know this, and he went up to the top and he pushed off a 10-pound weight and a 1-pound weight, and what happened? They landed at the same time to everyone's amazement. Not really, though. The power of belief was so strong that the professors denied what they were seeing. They continued to say that Aristotle was right. This illustrates perfectly some things going on in the world today. You could show the terrible ravaging effects of AIDS or some other such disease and people will do wrong things anyway. You can show someone a diseased liver and cancerous lungs and people are going to abuse alcohol and smoke regardless of the facts. Most people are going to believe what they have always believed regardless of the facts. Or they may believe you in the sense that they think you're probably right but they'll believe that there are exceptions or they won't care as the case may be. But something different occurred in the life of Jesus, something persuasive. Mark records that when Jesus came to Capernaum on the Sabbath day and entered into the synagogue and taught, the crowds were astounded. Why? One word, authority. He taught not as the scribes taught, but as one having authority. What did they hear? Why were they so drawn to him? First, his teaching was new. It was new because Jesus moved from past tense into the present tense. He did not simply recount all of the wonders that God had done. He did some. If you ever take a tour of the Holy Land, a place that you'll likely visit is the ruins of Capernaum. Jesus stayed there a while, probably because it was Peter's hometown. And what is remarkable is that you can go there today and see the remaining walls of a small first century home. The home has been identified since the time of Constantine, the emperor, as Peter's house and demonstrated as probably such by modern excavations. And a hundred feet from the front door of Peter's home are the remains of the synagogue in the text. It is a place where Jesus taught regularly as a visiting rabbi. And as he began to teach, Mark tells us, the people were amazed. 
What amazed them is that when Jesus stood up to teach, he didn't say, Moses has taught us, or the prophet Isaiah reminds us, or Rabbi so-and-so has said. When he stood up in the synagogue, he said, I say to you, all the other rabbis told the people to offer a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, but Jesus said to the people directly, your sins are forgiven. The rabbis all encouraged the people to believe in God. Along comes Jesus and he tells them, believe in God, believe also in me. The difference was astonishing. All of the other rabbis got their authority from quoting the scriptures and referencing the rabbis before them to support their positions, but not so this Jesus. Here was something new. He was the authority. I am the door. I am the vine. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. His teachings echoed with something new, something astonishing. God was no longer in the past. God was in the present in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And that brings up the second reason why people were so drawn to him, the authority. Something happened right in their midst that stunned them, made them sit up and take notice. In the middle of his sermon, a man with an evil spirit interrupted him. Jesus then demonstrated the authority of his teaching with his power over the spirits. The first thing to notice is that the man did not burst into the synagogue, disrupting the service. Mark tells us that this was a man within their synagogue, maybe a respected layperson and a productive member of society. The synagogue leaders would not permit any other kind to be there. Those in the assembly of God's people are not immune from the devil's influence. Two young men who were students at Duke University in North Carolina were invited to a masquerade party. They decided to go dressed in the costume of the mascots of Duke University. That's anybody know? Blue Devils. So they rented Blue Devil costumes and dressed in these, they started out for the party, and without realizing it, they got mixed up and lost and went by mistake into a church that was having an evening service. <laughs> when these people looked up from their prayers to see two blue devils walking in, there was a great exodus <laughs> out the doors and out the windows. <laughs> all except for one rather stout lady who got wedged in the front pew when she tried to turn around, and she began to scream in terror, and these two young men, forgetting that they were causing the problem to begin with, rushed forward to help her. And when she saw them advancing on her, she raised her hand, she rolled her eyes and said, stop, don't you come any further. I want you to know that I've been a member of this church for 25 years, but I've been on your side all the time. <laughs> I don't know how true that story is. But it makes the point, 
Being inside these four walls is no guarantee against the influence of the devil. The second thing to notice is that this man's affliction is only identified as an evil spirit. The demon is not tied here in this story to any sickness, as sometimes is the case in these gospel stories. What then was this demon doing to this man? We cannot say. Maybe the demon's influence in this case was of a moral nature. You pick one, a demon of hate, revenge, uncontrolled greed, distorted ambition, fear, guilt, envy, jealousy, slander, deceit, revenge, greed, gossip, pornography, alcohol, or drugs. Which one? These things are all around us and uncontrolled, they will destroy life. The third thing to notice is that this man had given authority to this demon. He was possessed. The demon had gained control, and he had lost control. Authorities on the subject maintain that at some level, the possessed are willing to go along with the possession, and the demon itself, of course, is eager. Peter reminds us in his first letter that the chief of demons himself, Satan, is like a roaring lion going around seeking whom he may devour. There are authorities and teachings in this world that you can use to try to overpower and overcome these demons. You can turn to education, sociology, history, philosophy, or psychology. All these have a certain kind of power, but not the power of Jesus. Other teachings have authority, but not the authority of Jesus in his new teaching. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us, the evil spirit asks. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon is not even addressed, and yet he fires the opening shot, naming the name of Jesus, hoping to control this greater power. Be quiet, Jesus speaks sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were amazed. I don't doubt it. Something new. Something astonishing just happened. The authority of God was occurring right before their eyes. What is this, they asked. A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. Education can make us knowledgeable. Philosophy can organize our thinking. Science can help us get things done. Psychology to understand why we act like we do. But in the end, all of these do not have the authority to control those demons that plague us. We need something more, a new teaching, someone with authority. The more clearly we see ourselves, the more we realize our need for salvation. 
for some authority outside of ourselves, some power to deliver us. We don't simply need healing. We need to be saved, delivered from the demons seeking to destroy us. The Swiss psychologist Paul Tournier said it this way, it is not healing alone that man stands in need of, but salvation, in need of the assurance that the world and mankind have been redeemed. Jesus brings that. He brings that new kind of teaching, a new authority into this world to save, to make us whole to overcome the demons that are bent on our destruction because he was willing to act with authority to save us. And there is no authority quite like that conferred by suffering, suffering endured and overcome. A person willing to suffer great pain and even die for what they believe and teach gives that teaching a great authority born out of their conviction. Miracles are fine as far as they go, even casting out demons or raising the dead. But the greatest sign of all is that Jesus Christ was willing to be lifted up on the cross to draw all people to himself. That was his hour of glory and the point at which the light shone most brightly into a world where the powers of darkness could neither overcome nor understand it. What is this, people asked with amazement? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And then Mark states the obvious that once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Here is the stronger one come to set them and us free. Eli Wiesel, a Jewish teenager who was put in a Nazi concentration camp, recalled the day when he, as well as the other prisoners, were finally liberated from Auschwitz by the Allies. On that day, Powerful, strong soldiers broke down the fences of the concentration camp to release the prisoners. In spite of his condition, Wiesel remembers one soldier, a strong black man, who upon seeing the horror of human suffering was overcome with grief. He fell to his knees, sobbing in a mix of disbelief and sorrow. The captives, now liberated, walked over to the soldier and put their arms around him. We can imagine our Lord like that, compassionate, shedding tears as he did in Gethsemane, or as he's led to the cross, willing to forgive those who are crucifying him, or at Lazarus's graveside, but finally the one who can set us free from everything that would hold us in prison. We don't like to think of ourselves as victims, as was that man in the synagogue in Capernaum. But evil, in a manner of speaking, has had its own way with us. And the good news is that our liberator has arrived, the stronger one whom John pointed to. And so we are free. Yet there's a flip side. 
If he has set you free, can you say of him that he speaks with authority in your life? How much authority does he have on a scale of 1 to 10? What would he have to cast out of you to rate a 10? What commands has he given you? How will you obey him? And to use the catechism's words, live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting innocence, righteousness, and blessedness, since he has redeemed you a lost and condemned creature. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.